The Healthy Golf Podcast, Episode 14, with Chris Doherty. Welcome to the Healthy Golf Podcast, a podcast designed to help you transform your golf game and your life. Join your host, Dr. Joe O, as he chats with experts on all things golf performance to keep you feeling great and playing your best on and off the course. Welcome to another episode of the Healthy Golf Podcast, and today I'm super excited for our guest, Chris Doherty of Active 30. Um, Chris works and owns Active 30 Golf Performance. It's basically a virtual golf performance system, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but you work primarily with juniors and like college-age golfers. Is that correct? Yeah, our roster is mostly comprised of junior golfers, AJGA, Caliber, we also have several undergraduate players who play D1 and D2 golf, and then we also have a few professionals who awesome. also play with us. So it's uh, quite a diverse mix of talent for sure. Cool. Well, let's uh, we'll just go right into it. I'm super pumped that you're here, and um, I know you're passionate about helping golfers and exactly what we're going to be talking about also um, in general. Um, but why don't you just go ahead, introduce yourself, and then kind of you can talk a little bit more about Active 30 if you want. No, 100%. Well, first off, I appreciate you having me, Joe. We've chatted for a while on Instagram and my second podcast of the day. So it's becoming a, a regular pastime for me. I really enjoy it. But yeah, so my name is Chris Doherty. I'm the founder of Active 30, which I would basically call a remote total package golf performance system. The reason why I label it that way is we don't focus on just specifically golf performance from a physical preparation standpoint, that's obviously a major part of it, but we also focus on mental toughness and habit development. Because if you look at the things that are holding a lot of elite level talents back from elite level performances, it's on the mental side and it's poor recovery habits, poor nutrition habits, things such as that nature. So we certainly focus on the physical preparation aspect of things, but we also spend just as much time, if not occasionally more, on the habit development and the mental toughness aspect as well. And we currently, as of today, as of this morning, have a roster of 25 players all around the country. Most of them are in Texas and Florida. However, we do have a number of players in the Northeast and Midwest as well. Geography really doesn't matter. The only common denominator we look for is someone who is looking to level up their performance and someone who is humble enough to know that they don't got it. They need to keep furthering the process in order to get there, we never master the game of golf. We're always looking to get better at whatever it is we're doing, and habits are where it's at. That's awesome. First of all, congratulations on having that many people, uh, have, having that many players on your roster currently. I know it's been a long process for you so far and growing, um, but you seem to be exploding right now, which is awesome. You know, man, um, the one thing I'll say at the outset of this show for, for any other entrepreneurs listening or any other business people, when you focus on value, other things that are great tend to follow. Too many people focus on money. They focus on, well, I just need to be the loudest, most knowledgeable person in the room. Um, I might be one of the loudest, but I'm not always um, the most knowledgeable. I like to believe that I'm learning every single day that I do this from professionals like you, certainly from our golfers. Uh, you know, Any coach who isn't learning every day from his or her players is, is definitely devaluing the process. And you know, I, I just focus each and every day on the on the value that we can provide our players, their families, the coaches they're going to eventually play for at the D1, D2, D3 level. And then 
any potential sponsors they might be partnering with when they enter the professional realm. So I really believe that in anything you do in life, when you focus on helping other people get what they want, you're going to get everything you want and then some. I couldn't agree more. Um, one thing I definitely do want to say is not that I'm like trying to steal anything from you, but I definitely love your, your yeah, model. And, yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> I love, I love your model, what you're doing. And it's definitely something I'm modeling kind of my business after. Cause I feel like you need to have all those aspects into a performance program. I mean, yes, like you said, the physical aspect is huge. Um, but all those other things play a role into your everyday life. And that's not even just for junior golfers and collegiate level golfers who are incredible golfers who may go on to, you know, mini tours or uh, even the PGA tour. Um, just like your everyday person needs to be able to have that mindset and correct habits to achieve the life that they want to have. Totally, man. And you know what? I, I would, to borrow a quote from Mike Boyle, who was my greatest mentor in the field. Mike always said, steal liberally. You know, none of us, you know, we, we might have trademarks on our brands, but there's no trademark on knowledge. And the fact of the matter is everything, you know, Mike presents so liberally at all the Perform Better Summits. He hosts mentorships. You know, no one's stealing Mike Boyle's strength and conditioning. They might take ideas of his, which he's there to present. Like, we're all here to learn. We're all here to get better. So, I mean, if I make a contribution to the field because I was able to steal liberally from somebody like Mike because he told me to, and I was able to form a business out of it, now somebody else can do it and benefit more value. Hey, that's how we all get better, man. Yeah. Well, you, you had mentioned earlier one of the main things I kind of want to talk about today, and that includes uh, basically just the process and getting better every day. Um, that's something that I strive to do uh, personally. That's one of the values that I set out in my business is that you're going to strive for for greatness or excellence every single day. And I don't care if it's 0.05% better. It doesn't matter if you're doing that every single day, it's going to add up over time. Yeah. So how can, how do you, how do you kind of instill that into your, uh, your players um, and just like anyone, cause you, you ran about it all the time and I love it. Well, the most important thing is that you have to define what's important to you. And that seems really obvious, but most people never do it. And what do we know about the obvious things? Most people know it and they don't do it. So you, you can talk about all day, you know, cliches and platitudes and all these different things. The fact of the matter is, if you are not writing down each and every day, acknowledging where you're currently at and deciding where you want to be and really articulating that in a manner that's that's meaningful to you, you're just not going to do it. You know, people always default to the default. That's the that's the whole nature of this. Like we always default to what's easy. Our brains are built to survive. They're not built to thrive. We have to decide that we're going to thrive through the actions that we take each and every day. And it starts with writing down goals and it's followed by writing down action items that are going to help us achieve those goals. And most people like th this is not rocket science. This is like slight edge. This is everything, you know, we've heard a million times over, but most people never do it. So like the, the difference between the 5% and the 95% of the mob is that the 5% actually do the things on a consistent basis. They master the mundane, they do the necessary things and everybody else over on this side just talks about it. Maybe sporadically does it, you know, maybe they, they dip up a little bit and then they dip right down. It's, it's always this, it's always, it's never, you know, meandering and growth. It's always like, you know, up, down, up, down, up, down. You never get anywhere. You never build any consistency with that. So you have to decide what's important, 
you have to decide what you're going to do and you have to do it with consistency. Yeah. I see so many times, um, prior to this, I mean, I'm still a physical therapist, but I work with, I would work for, or work with patients mm -hmm. and they would come in. And I think a lot of times, especially in this world where you can, you know, click a button on your phone and you can have a pizza delivered to your house in 20 minutes. Right. I mean, it's so instantaneous. You don't have to get up to, to like even walk to the phone now to call. Um, everyone wants a quick fix for the most part. And when I would see people who are in pain or anything along those lines, you know, they want, they want the meds or they want the fancy shot. That's not going to be covered by insurance, but it's $500. And there's some sub the doctor says that it works on other people. So we're going to do it when, yeah. you know, they're pretty much just throwing money down the drain essentially. Um, well, if it works for somebody else, it'll definitely work for you. That's right. Good. They don't want to put in, they don't want to put in the, the work, you know, the six to eight weeks of doing consistent rehab exercises. I don't even want to call them rehab exercises, still just exercise, but exercises to, to improve their condition. Um, and I think it is hard to do those mundane things to kind of set yourself apart from everyone else, especially when you don't feel like you're getting anywhere. Um, do any of your players feel like they're not making progress, even though that you probably see that they are? Uh, oh, I mean, they probably just, just get stuck. Absolutely. And I mean, this is the nature. And I tell this before I even start working with player and, you know, most of you know, admittedly, most of our players are juniors, so obviously their parents are heavily involved in the decision-making process. So when I'm on a call very, very similar to this face-to-face -face on Zoom with players and their families, I'm always like, hey, you know what? This process works, but you have to make it work. And it is a process, and you are going to have days when you hate it. You are going to have days where you're like, I don't feel like I'm – like I, 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 I set the stage for them. I tell you, there's going to be some days when you don't like me. There's going to be some days when you don't like the program. It's like anything else. There's days when you hate golf. You go out there and you can't do anything right, and you're like, you know, screw this game. This sucks. And then you get right back out tomorrow and get after it again. But, like, you know, there's no formula for just this crescendo ascent that people just in their minds think that if they start a program, they're going to have. You will see progress, but it's not going to be the quantum leap that people have made it out to believe in their subconscious mind. It doesn't work that way. And you have to be willing – you know, I was talking to my swing coach, John Sosa, about this the other day. He's the head of instruction here at River Place. And we both agreed, like, how many people are willing to be bad at something in order to get good at it? Like, at some point, we all sucked at golf. I still suck at golf, but, you know, I'm, I'm working on it. But, like, you know, and I am getting better. But, like, how many people are truly willing to be bad at something? For these golfers, most of the time, it's having a good strategy, having a good routine, taking care of your body the right way. Most of them are not good at it. That's part of why we're working together. But – are you willing to suck at something in order to get much better at it, in order for it to become an asset versus a liability? A lot of people's egos are too strong. They're not willing to truly suck at something or, or start from the ground level and go through those mundane and minutia-based parts of the process. And, and until you're willing to do that, until you're willing to truly say, you know what, I really am willing to do whatever I need to do to get better, even if it might not be enjoyable, until you're willing to actually – say yes to that process, I think you're really going to struggle. So yeah, there, there's a, I would say on a daily basis, I have, I have conversations with players who don't necessarily doubt active 30 in the system, but they're going through one of those spells where it's just not, Oh, you know, instant birdies. It's a birdie serum. As I think uh, 
when I had um, um, Lance Gill from TPI on the show, he's like, you know, people just think that you're going to join some program. It's a magical serum for birdies. Like, man, what I would be worth today if I had that, that solution, you know, right. to, to yeah. get, get rid of bogeys. Pretty much. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I mean, I think there's such a stigma with like being bad at something. Right. Yeah. And you get frustrated so quickly and that you're not improving um, because you're not seeing those big gains, just like you said. Yeah. And it's so frustrating. And you're like, when am I ever going to get good at this? Like I'm right there with you. Like I'm not the greatest at golf, but I went out and played around today and I shaved two strokes off of my like average score. Basically yeah. it still wasn't pretty. And I still made a, a whole crap ton of mistakes. Uh, but I mean, it's in the right direction. Well, um, and, I, and I think it's important to point out, I don't know what your background is in golf, but like for me, it's very simple as to why I'm not a skilled player. I, I barely ever play, you know, prior to now, I never have actually, you know, these players that I'm coaching now on the performance side, these players have played every day. They might be 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. They've been doing this every day for 12 years. They might be half my age. They have still spent so much more time with the game than I ever have. So how can I expect to be anywhere near their level of skill or results when I put such little time in it? Now, you and I put our time into the things that we do that we're successful with. You put a lot of your time into your PT. I put a lot of time into Active 30 and building our craft, building our model, building better athletes. That's where I put my bandwidth. So that's naturally what I'm skilled at. But I can't expect to be great at golf until I'm putting maybe not the same level of time and, and effort into it as, as I don't know if I've decided to expend that much yet, but I'm certainly putting a lot more into it. I'm investing a lot of money and, and resources into the instruction that I'm getting right now, which is well worth it, by the way. I have, I have a great swing coach. It's worth every penny. But like the reason why I'm bad is because I've kind of in a way made a decision to be bad by not making a decision to be good. Yeah, I would I would agree with you on that. That's part of the reason why I'm probably not very good because yeah. before I, this is in the past six months is the most golf I've ever played right. in right. in a span that long. Before then, I would only play probably no more than four times in a year. Yeah, um, and I probably played ten times, like I said, within the past six months. Um, so there's that. But why don't if, you don't we go make, if you don't make a decision to be good or great at something. The default is you've made the decision to be average to mediocre, not good at it. So, um, you know, it's not that if I played golf every day, if I if I played as much as these juniors play, I would physiologically I have the talent. I would be a very good player. I have no doubt in in saying. And you know, even at 36, I don't see any reason why right now I can't also still retrain those motor patterns and be a really good player. I just know that at 36 is just going to take a lot more time. The question is. Do I want to put in that time? The answer right now is yes, I do. Because I think it actually makes me a better coach to my players. Number one, if I can actually go out on the course and compete with them, maybe not win, but like hold my own because they're very, very, very talented. But like, I think it makes me relate to what they go through better. If I'm a more skilled player, even though I have put a lot of bandwidth into the side that I'm coaching them in, I don't think you can ever go wrong being a fairly decent competitor at the sport in which you coach your athletes. Yeah, I would, I would think so. I mean, you don't need to be great at it, but you should probably know well, hold your a own. little bit of it. Yeah. Rand Skill said, like, if they give you, what, six strokes or something like that? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, I watched that whole talk you did with him. I'm not quite there yet, but we're, we're working on that. Yeah. Uh, one of the things you talk about 
in terms of like continuing to grow and strive for excellence is uh, one of the biggest deterrents to that is becoming complacent. Um, and you talk about this a lot. Why don't, why don't you just go ahead and go on complacency? Yeah, go, go on a rant, go on one of my rants where I freak out. You can, on, yeah, I, if you want. Well, I mean, what is, you know, I, I look for people who, I look for level uppers. I, I'm always looking, I'm always studying the people who are where I want to be. And I don't know why any golfer or why anybody in life wouldn't do that. If you see somebody who's very, very good at something, don't study their results, study their process. And who's the number one at that in my book is coach Nick Saban for Alabama. He's somebody I've long looked up to. doesn't matter if you're a fan of Alabama football. I think that's pretty irrelevant. I would just say, I mean, what, six national championships? Like, that's crazy. Um, and, you know, he's been doing it for a while. He's refined his process. He doesn't care what the critics think, which I don't care what the critics think either. I occasionally will respond to critics. But I don't think I react to critics. I think I respond to it, um, you know, in a timely manner. But for me, what does is, what is Coach Saban says? He says the number one enemy of success is complacency because it shows a complete disregard for the process. It means that you're getting comfortable with the success that you've had. You're not setting new goals. You're not pushing the envelope. You're essentially in a comfort zone. And the moment that you get into a comfort zone, you stop developing, you stop growing. So that's the ultimate enemy of progress. So for me, like, yes, Active 30 has grown exponentially since January, but I already know you know the answer to this. Do you think for two seconds I'm satisfied with that at all? Like, do you, think, do you think I'm satisfied with the way we're serving our athletes right now? I think we're serving them well, but guess what? Well isn't isn't superior. You know, well, well is good. I want I want raving fans, but at the same time, I also know that no matter what I do, you know, you can't be a people pleaser. I'm never going to be able to come out with anything where everyone is going to say, that was baller, every single person out there needs to do it. You know, I'm going to get some people, I've already had some, where they leave after three months and, you know, they said it was great, but, well, if it was great, would they have left after three months? You know, no, probably not. So, you know, you you can always look to go above and beyond, and you have to have the knowledge still that you're never going to be able to do everything that it is that you aspire to do. The, the effort's there, the desire's there. The preparation, I believe, is there, but at the same time, like, you know, complacency is the number one thing I want to stay away from because I'm always looking to push the envelope. And, you know, if that ever offends people, I'm totally cool with that. You know, I don't really, as you know about me, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss on your program at all. I'll, I'll stay away from that if that's not allowed. But, um, you know, I, I just, I don't care if people are offended by, by anything that I say because I know that what I say is the truth. And I know that if they take it to heart, they'll probably actually wind up better for it. So, uh, I think that at least for me, one of the best ways to avoid complacency is to push the envelope and stay true to the truth. Frankly, you know, continue to inform people, not be concerned if somebody doesn't take it a good way. Hey, you know what? Somebody doesn't take it a good way. Cool. Sell me on your way of doing it. You might just do so. You know, if you have a good way to back up your argument and you have a good reason for why you're saying something, I might be like, wow, that, that was actually pretty good. You know, I'm not, I'm not above that. But a lot of people out there just want to take shots from the peanut gallery. They have no point to what they're saying. They don't even take into account what's an athlete's population or what that person's going through. They just make blanket statements about certain training modalities or certain nutrition protocols. And it's like, all right, well, it might be great for you and the, the two or three people you work with. But like when you're looking at a whole team of people, what works for for each one of them or you know what has to be customized for each one of them? So to me, I just think that the way you avoid complacency is you keep setting new goals, 
and you focused on growth and you focus on discomfort. How often do you um, <laughs> set new goals for yourself? Do you do like three, three month goals, monthly goals, yearly goals? I'm sure you have all of those, but yeah, how, often do, you, how often do you reevaluate and do those kinds of things? You know, with our players, I like to focus on shorter term goals. And by shorter term, I mean three months because I really think in that time frame, it's long enough to accomplish some really good stuff. And it's not too long where you lose track of the bigger picture. So I like to focus on that. But at the same time, I also want people setting longer term goals as well. I like one year. I like five year because you look at a lot of these junior players. If they're 16 years old, what is five years away? Uh, I guess almost completing college for the most part. Uh, completing college are really looking at this as a viable right. or not yeah. viable professional career choice. Sure. So a lot's going to go on in that five years. And as you and I both know, as people, how old are you, by the way? You're in your 30s? 31. Oh, 31. Okay, I'm 36. Like, yeah. I would just text him with a player today because he reports to college in, in a week. And I'm like, I still remember 2003 very vividly when my parents dropped me off at college. And that seems like it was it was – three weeks ago and it was 17 years ago. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. So, so if that's 17 years, imagine how quickly five years goes. Imagine how quickly three years goes. Imagine how quickly 90 days goes. So people are planning for their future and they're forgetting to live their life a lot of the time. Like your future is what you're doing today. And I like to always remind people of that, that like a 90 day goal is going to be what you do for these next 90 days. Your five-year goal is 20 90-day goals. They amalgamate. So while people are focused on, oh, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, it's more like how well are your 90-day goals going to amalgamate over five years? Because if they're not amalgamating, then guess what? You're not doing any of the things that you need to be doing. You should be like, my 90-day goal this is what's important to me over these 90 days. I'm going to nail that. Then you set the next one that's contingent upon, you know, you're, you're already thinking about what your one-year goal is because obviously what's a one-year goal? Four 90-day goals. So everything that you're doing right now in these shorter-term interim goals is taking you closer to where you ultimately want to be. But too many people, if they're focusing on just a long-term goal and they're not being process-oriented toward what they're doing, they're never going to reach that one-year goal. They're never going to reach that five-year goal. They'll get there and just be like, Oh, well, you know, I guess I'll figure it out now, or I guess I'll wing it or try to do something or get a sponsor's exemption to something. You know, I, I put up a post from TPI today. It's not the will to win. It's the will to prepare to win that matters. And, and a lot of these people, because preparation doesn't sound sexy, they take a wing it strategy. And it's like, do you see Tiger Woods? Do you see any of these guys on tour taking a wing it strategy? Does that work? Why do people think it works? I never see it work for anybody. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know you were super into, I was too, uh, watching, gosh, I can't even think what it's called right now. The Michael Jordan documentary. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. The last dance. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it was, it was all over the place in terms of, you know, not just focusing on Michael, obviously a majority of it was, but you got to see a little bit of his process. And I mean, even learning more about Kobe Bryant, I mean, you hear stories. I forget who it was. I want to say it was Jay Williams. Um, he was in the gym. He was playing against the Lakers and he went into the gym and Kobe was already there in a full sweat and 
Jay Williams got to the gym at like four something in the morning and Jay Williams left the gym and Kobe was still there working. I mean, if that doesn't show you what putting in preparation is, I don't know what is. Yeah. You know, it's so funny how everybody quotes these examples and yet we look at the people who embody those examples and, and are you know the people who are in those examples like Kobe and Michael. And you hear you see all these people doing this stuff and you hear all these stories of a tiger and you always hear people quoting it, but how many people do you actually see quoting it who are doing it? Almost nobody. So I mean, I, I was on a podcast this morning. I was I was telling um, you know, I, I I've ranked and some people say it's unfair. I've ranked really hard, and I know you you've heard me say it on on a lot of D one commits. And it's actually out of respect to them why I do that. And it really shouldn't be reserved to just D1 commits. There's a lot of really talented D2 players and D3 players too who, who for, for tons of different reasons play at those levels. Some of them are very, very good. But the reason why I rank on the D1 recruits is because I know and you know and hopefully they know what a great opportunity they have. But like at the same time, they kind of – a lot of them, not all of them, a lot of them have this attitude of, yeah, I got it. Like I'm a, I'm a D1 player. And it's like – someone needs to remind these people that you're a D one player insofar as you're one of the five guys who plays in the tournaments. Like you're not a D one player for shit. Excuse me. If, if, if you're not one of the guys who plays. So like you think you got it, you think you're there, you get to school and you're not qualifying, even though you're the highly tatted recruit. Well, what does it matter? You're barely a footnote on the history of having been a part of that team. And, you know, even though I do think that many of the D1 out there, many of the D1 commits will be contributors to their team, there's no guarantee with it. Golf is the ultimate meritocracy. How you perform, how you play is what's on your resume. Nobody cares about any of the other stuff. And my view to these D1 commits, because I care, by the way, once again, not because I'm trying to be mean to them, which some of them have not yet developed the thick skin to understand the difference between BS and the truth. The reason why I'm calling them out is I care enough to tell them the truth and say, you have these great opportunities. Why would you not do anything and everything at your disposal to ensure that you are one of those five guys who always plays? We know you get the talent. You wouldn't have gotten the recruit. You wouldn't have gotten the offer. But why do so many guys think that, no, I'm just going to play in a lot of tournaments. No, I'm just going to do these. I'm going to do what I'm already good at that we've already seen. Why would you not hit the gym? Why would you not improve your nutrition? Why would you not work on your habits? Why have so many players decided that these things don't matter? I don't get it. I really don't get yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know either, but I would say part of it is, I guess. Um, and they get mad at me. That's and then right. they get, yeah. You don't know what I do. Like you, and I'm like, I know you don't train. I think part of it is, you know, that they're working on what got them there, right? They're becoming complacent for the most part. Well, I, you know, I, I don't know. And, you know, keep in mind, you know, these players too, you know, they're, they're 16, 17, 18 years old. They, they're, they're young men and, and, you know, young women. I know we've, we've mostly, as of right now, Active 30 has been, been an all-male roster, even though that's not, I always reiterate on every show I go on, that that's not how it's designed. I mean, we will, you know, gladly accept female players on our team. I'd love to have female players on our team. Um, just just hasn't panned out quite yet. But but that being said, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to, I've said a few times on my rants, I definitely have used the word complacency. I think that is an element of it, but I think there's an element of ignorance to it too, where maybe players have never been part of a good training system. Maybe they haven't ever had anybody who's talked to them about setting these real goals. Maybe they've done it in a golf context. Maybe they haven't done it in another context. So 
it, some of it's complacency, but some of it is like, well, you don't know what you don't know. If you've never actually experienced the other side of being in great shape, of having great mobility, of feeling what you and I both know, what it feels like to be in really, really great shape and do some great things with your body, the way that I think the body is meant to be lived on this planet. If you've never experienced that, then you wouldn't know the difference between what your current default is and what being in great shape could be all about. So, so you know, maybe it's the ignorance is bliss type of thing where they just don't know what they don't know. So, you know, I'm here to just tell players like, well, look at the guys you aspire to on the PGA Tour. Do you think even the, even some of the guys who are, you know, maybe carrying a little bit extra around the midsection, like, all right, aesthetics aside, does that mean they don't do anything? Like Phil Mickelson, we used to all make fun of him so much for for like his his body and like his his man boobs and stuff. Phil has consistently throughout his career been one of the most flexible and mobile and one of the strongest guys on tour, even if maybe he hasn't always aesthetically looked at. It's funny, now that he's 50, he looks the best he's ever looked. Yeah. Uh, but but like these guys train. They 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 play a physical sport that requires a rotational flexion movement done in one direction with a lot of explosiveness and frequency for a living. You think these guys don't preserve that asset and that investment. Of course they do. And I just think that a lot of players, because they're younger, and I think part of it, Joe, is that they haven't had any problems yet that they're like, to your point, well, I'm going to just keep doing what's gotten me here. The illusion in thinking is what got me here will get me here. And that's when the rude awakening starts is when suddenly everything that's worked for you now doesn't work anymore or doesn't get you that next thing. And too many players have that. We'll cross that bridge and we come to it attitude. Well, guess what? When you come to that bridge, it's going to take you quite some time and energy and bandwidth to get yourself up to that next level. Why would you not do it now? Why would you not take a proactive approach to it versus a reactive approach to it? That is my total reasoning between all of like just being healthy and the whole healthcare system, which is a whole nother topic, but oh, I mean, yeah, healthcare, yeah. I mean that, that's, it's, yeah. it's all reactive. It's not even proactive and profit-based. Yes. Know, we, yeah, we, yeah. we sold out a long time ago to the pharmaceutical companies. We could, we could have a whole other podcast about that. Yeah. And right. I'll give some strongly worded statements about that if you want, but you know, <laughs> I'm sure you want to talk about some other stuff today, but. Well, it's just so unfortunate because it's so every, everything is so reactive. And I think that's part of somewhat part of like American culture is to be reactive and not so much proactive, yeah. um, unfortunately. And that really screws you in the long run. Well, it's just, you know, I was on another podcast, say um, this, um, this gentleman by the name of Austin Bagwell, or Bashwell. Oh, goodness, I'm forgetting his name. Um, but um, he made a really good point on the show. Whereas, you know, do you react or do you respond? And he, he made a really, I actually really like the way he said it because it's like, well, what happens to most players on the golf course if we're talking about things from a mental standpoint? Players get a response or a, I'm sorry, they, they, they have an outcome, an undesirable outcome, like a bogey on a hole, a three putt. And for many people, what winds up happening? It follows them to the tee box on the next hole and contributes to another outcome that's undesirable. People take 
an undesirable outcome that, by the way, has absolutely no relationship whatsoever to that next shot. At least it doesn't have to, nor should it. Not that we live in shoulds, but that tee shot has nothing to do with the three putt. Absolutely nothing to do until we decide that it does. So the reaction aspect is I'm really pissed off about that three putt. I'm really pissed off about that bogey. That should not have happened. I really F that up. You get to the tee box with that in your mind, and then you're trying to either make up for it all in one shot or maybe getting out of your game plan, getting out of your mindset, and then you execute a poor shot off the tee that you now have another shot that now you it, – it, it's like people who fall behind in the gambling. Like, oh, you know, I'm in debt. I need to make that up. And then, then they go further into debt. Oh, no, now, now I need to make it up triply. This is how, you know, lots of people have gotten into trouble in, in a lot of different ways, you know, in a much more severe example. But the same type of reactive response happens in golf. The thing that Austin said was, what if we took the attitude of how is he going to respond to that? Bad bogey over here. How about a really well-executed game plan on the next shot? How about a response as opposed to a reaction? Like you always hear the commentator say that, let's see how he responds, or a coach, let's see how he responds. And the mature players, what do they always do? They have the shortest memory in the world of that bad outcome, and they get right down there and they jam it down everybody's throat on the next hole. And it's like, ah, I knew he was going to do that. Well, he's rehearsed that God knows how many times. He's learned how to respond as opposed to react to things. So I think when and I, I really liked the way I'm not going to take ownership of that, of that statement. That was all Austin. I really liked the way he put that down, but it's like, what if we focused more on how do we respond in a cool, collected, competitive manner as opposed to react? Yeah, Which that, oftentimes that, takes us to the emotional brain that leads to some highly irrational, highly in the moment types of things that oftentimes don't serve us. Right. Yeah. I love it. Uh, last, last week when I was talking to uh, a mind coach who works with golfers, basically, as I was mentioning to you before the call out mm -hmm. of the UK, and he was just talking about how often do you see uh, someone you're playing with trying to hit the ball out of the sand and they go through their whole routine beforehand, you know, they, they line it up all this stuff and then, they don't get it out of the bunker. They walk right up to it and then take another swing, but don't go through their entire routine. Right. Like he talked about having that whole routine as kind of almost being like a, a reset almost for you um, and your process of getting back on track and just forgetting that bad outcome that you just had and, and resetting and, and going forward again. Yeah, I think a lot of the times people, the reason that there could be all kinds of reasons why people don't go through the full routine. Number one, it's it's an emotional response, like kind of, you know, screw this, you know, screw this uh, situation. Um, or I think for a lot of people, they don't want to have to think. They want to just get, get the experience over with in as expeditious a manner as possible. But, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of the guys on our team, like I said, all talented players, about their pre-shot routine and what they do. We talk a lot about committing to shots because mm -hmm. an issue for a lot of players, when they get to indecisive over the ball, it's usually, you know, you get a, you know, a, uh, a change in the wind. You get a, in between clubs, very, very common situation. It's like, what if you just go through a routine where you've decided before you step up to it that you've minimized the problems 
if a shot is not executed per, you know, you've minimized it. You have a game plan where you're like, all right, well, even if this doesn't go exactly the way that I want, we've kind of cut this variable out of it. And if we execute it perfectly, this is what we believe is going to happen. And you know what? If we don't execute it, we don't execute it, you know, but at least we've minimized. If you can minimize the bad outcome and maximize the opportunity for the best possible outcome, and like even if you do an average to poor job with it, you're still okay, then that's something we can commit to. It's when you're thinking about all the, oh, wow, I hit this in the water yesterday. And, oh, man, if I, go, if I go left right now, I'm in jail and I can't do this. A lot of people will stand up over the ball, and all they'll think about is like worst-case scenario, and don't do that. And it's like, well, what positive – execution mindset could you possibly have once you've teed it up that way? So, you know, we, we talk a lot about just simply committing to the process, committing to the shot, going through a routine where it's all about, I'm going to do this and I'm going to live with the outcome because I've eliminated what I can eliminate and I'm going to maximize what I can maximize and just swing away, just commit to that, that thought and leave everything out there, you know, more, more times than not, because these players are skilled, they know how hard they know how far they hit everything. They know what they're doing. If they just commit to that, oftentimes I'd say at least seven out of ten times, they're in a pretty good place. Yeah, I mean exactly what you said. If you can, it's just like with anything. Same thing as like starting a business. If you can minimize the risks and maximize all the good things, right? For the most part, or say like, all right, well, I'm going to take this step. These are the these are the things that are going to be bad or could go wrong. Right. But these are all the things that could go right. Yeah. You know, you have to outweigh those things and really just, like you said, commit to it. In the end, it's, it's, you just have to make a commitment and make a decision. Well, no one else is going to do it for you. No, they're not. Certainly not in a game like golf. But I think the other thing is, too, we become very, very failure averse in our culture. We become very much like, oh, you know, they really screwed that up. I, I, you know, can't ever do that again. That's terrible. And, Obviously, we're working with a lot of young men on this team, and this is, I think, somewhat a maturity thing at times. But why would you ever let a failure happen and not learn something from it? Why would you ever hit a shot that goes awry and rather than react emotionally, why not respond with some maturity and say, hmm, that went that way. What can I, what can I take from this and how can I use it? I heard Jim Quick talk about something like this, you know, several different questions that people should ask themselves after any particular outcome. You know, what did I learn here? What can I take from this? How can I use this? Why would you ever take a failure and not have something that you could use in a future experience to make a better outcome possible? And when you react to stuff, I don't think you allow that to happen. I think you literally have an entitlement mindset of how dare from that distance I hit that average a shot. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not certainly not going to mention the player. I mean, I was at a tournament a few weeks ago with a player who second shot on a par five. Wasn't even that bad a shot. Was it his best shot? No. It's a average shot that was probably maybe double the distance that he thought it should have been from the hole. Still putting for an eagle. Throws a club. Has a meltdown out there. What do you think? What do you think happened next? He didn't. He didn't make an eagle. Three putt. But it was the only possible outcome that could have happened after that. 
And, and I mean, to a certain degree, it's funny. You're, ne you're never happy as a coach to see that display um, in the middle of the tournament, especially when somebody's in contention. But at the same time, it's also like, what can we learn from this? And that, that was the immediate thing I, you know, when we, when we spoke after the round, you know, he's, he's a very talented player, a great player who has a, a great future in front of him. And I think he really learned a lot from the experience. But immediately I was just like, what can we learn from this experience? Like the idea that it's okay. You know, we, we all know it wasn't your best approach shot. You know it wasn't your best approach shot. That's the, that's the captain obvious thing that's going on right now. But like, why now have a reaction you could have had a tap in birdie with, with your focus being in the right place. And, you know, I, I think he really learned a lot from that experience and, and obviously having, you know, his swing coach there and me there and everybody witnessing that display was, you know, I, I, I think embarrassment can be a great thing when it's used the right way. But from that time on, it's like, why should a potential eagle putt that might be slightly longer than you think that it should have been, should have been, should have been. Why leave that on the table and have something that leads to a three jack like that? You know, why, why that three jack came from the reaction to the second shot. You have, a, you, you, it's a par five. You have five shots for a par. And on the second shot, you basically guarantee you're not going to get anything better than a par because mentally you're not anything better than a par. I mean, that's part of the maturity we're talking about. That's part of just the the going through the process-oriented approach and understanding that, guess what? We're not going to execute every shot the way that we know we're capable of. So, and, and I thought I thought he had a very, very mature response after it happened. Um, you know, when we kind of sat down and analyzed it, he was like, well, my attitude could have and needs to be, all right, wasn't my best effort on the approach shot. Let's make that putt for Eagle. Now you're thinking. Now you're yeah. thinking. Now you're focused on that eagle putt and everything that is involved with it. And then I would say most of the time, I'd say probably nine times out of ten. Obviously, depending upon how long the putt is. But now, worst case scenario, you have a short putt for birdie. Yeah. Instead of, well, I'm just going to whack this thing because I'm pissed off, and then it's not a very good approach shot. Now you have a relatively long putt for birdie you missed that because now you're thinking about the second shot that wasn't good and that lousy eagle putt and now you've given yourself nothing but any chance but but a but a, a disappointing par yep I, i've yep. always i'll go on record and say that i th i firmly believe that 80 percent. i have no statistics to officially back this up in the world, but i firmly believe that 80 percent of three putts are mental i think you will get like a shinnecock or, or a really, really difficult course where, you know, treacherous and there's just putts that are, you know, very, very, very difficult to putts. But I really think that the majority, especially for elite level players, the majority of three putts are are mental. Overwhelming majority. Very good. Well, it sounds like you're uh, doing a great job coaching whichever kid on your team uh, to be more mentally tough uh, as he, as he Dude, this, this is just one example. I mean, yeah. this was just one that stood out. I mean, it, it's something everybody struggles with. This is not sure, something oh, yeah. there's anybody on our entire team who's above this, you know. It, it affects probably every golfer at every level out there, including probably many of the guys in the PGA Tour. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know. 
Well, I want to be respectful of your time. I just have a couple of uh, fun questions here at the end for you sure. to answer. Uh, first one is, what is the best course you've ever played? Well, I haven't played that many, so I don't know. <laughs> so what are, what are the parameters for best course? Just whatever, whatever to you it means best. Could have been a municipal course. I mean, it doesn't really even matter. I kind of like River Place, where I'm a member of here. I've been a member for over a month, and I've played nine holes once since joining here, which is such. I, I mean, I've played the 18, obviously, several times. But, right. um, you know, it's a short course here, very hilly, very, very challenging. There's trouble in every hole. Extremely scenic. I mean, we're right in Texas Hill Country, so it's an absolutely gorgeous spot. I mean, God, I have such a limited sample size of how many courses I've actually played. I've walked Pebble Beach. I've never played it, so that doesn't really count. Um, I've walked part of St. Andrews, but haven't played it. So that doesn't really count. Um, you know, the course I grew up on, I mean, the shot country club, which is where they hosted the bank of America championship on the champions tour from, I think 1981 through 2008. Uh, I mean, that's, that was my home course. It's the one I grew up on. I mean, I always loved that course. It's just a beautiful track and obviously good enough to attract the top players over 50 in the world, uh, given it last hosted it 12 years ago. But Love that course. Um, you know, would love to obviously play, play Pebble. Um, I just haven't really gotten out on the road and played yeah, a whole lot of golf. Right. I've been focusing on coaching people who play yeah. all these great venues rather than playing these great venues myself. I, I think that's that okay. needs to change, Joe. <laughs> that's okay. What um second question is, you have a risky approach shot to the green. Are you going for it or laying up? From how far? Define, <laughs> define risky. Um, man, let's just say you have water in front of the green and you have at least a three wood to, to the green. And depend on how I, you know, see, see these answers are going to change in a few months when I'm a much better. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's okay. That's a good thing. Well, like, with, with my side bend reverse spine angle swing that I've had up until now that I'm getting rid of. I'd say it's kind of a crapshoot. Like when I get a hold of one, I, I hit it very, very well. I, I, you know, I've, I've been able to get PGA tour caliber trajectories with a total shit swing, but obviously the consistency is, is not very good. So, um, you know, like, like 250 over some water, um, which I can definitely hit my three with that far. Um, depending on the kind of day I'm having. If I'm, if right. I'm, if I'm within like, if par is within reach, I don't want to sabotage and wind up with a double or triple on a hole like that. It would depend on what kind of round I had going. But once again, my sample size is so small. To, well, to, hopefully, it'll, hopefully it'll increase soon. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm hoping that there aren't too many risky approach shots with yeah. what I'm working on. Um, you're going to go out for a round. Who's in your dream foursome? Um, I, I, you know, it's so funny. I have thought about this one a lot. Um, Nick Saban, absolutely. He's one of my playing partners. Um, goodness, so many people. Uh, li living or dead? Uh, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I would have loved to play around with Ben Hogan. I think he's one of the best teachers of the golf swing who actually was a prominent player himself. I would have loved to, if, if, if our lifetimes crossed paths, I would have loved to have played with Ben Hogan. Um and I mean, how can you say no to Tiger Woods? Yeah. Truthfully, how, how can you, it sounds cliche, but how can you really, you know, if I, if I had around 
with Ben Hogan, Nick Saban, and Tiger Woods. Man, just just the stories and the learning. Yeah. Oh you know, yeah. During that round. I would say Tiger's been the most most said answer so far. Yeah, you know, I, have, have, yeah. I mean, for, especially for for guys our age, how can that not be? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, that'd be that'd be pretty cool. Um, Rory too. You know, if if Tiger was unavailable that day, I would happily play with Rory. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm of Irish heritage, so you know, I, I would be fine. There with you that. go. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Rory. I think he's I, he just seems like a great guy, and I oh, love yeah. his work ethic. So. We have a lot of great ambassadors for golf at the professional level in, in golf. I'm really, really proud of, of really how a lot of these players conduct themselves. And I, I think we just have some great ambassadorship for this game. I'm, I'm really actually proud of that. Yeah. Um, you kind of led, led our talk off with a great piece of advice in, in providing value and you'll get far. But uh, any, any last words of wisdom for anything in particular for anyone who's listening? For entrepreneurs or golf, well, I consider golfers, by the way. If they're professional golfers, I consider them entrepreneurs. Yeah, well, they are. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah. you know, just, just anything. And I mean, the overall thing is for people who golf, but my goal is to, to just be healthy. And I think everything that we talked about, it can lead to a healthy lifestyle, you know, if, if whatever you're aiming for. Yeah. You know, I mean, if I was just going to parlay my point about providing value, I just think you hear common wisdom about, go after what you're passionate about. And, I, and I've heard so many different entrepreneurs give different answers on that. I've heard a lot of people say, well, it's not passion, it's purpose. I've heard some people say it's purpose, but not so much passion. I've heard a lot of back and forth on that. I mean, with Active 30, I'm getting to focus on something that I'm passionate about, but that I also think serves a lot of purpose and has a lot of value to a lot of people. I mean, I've seen for a while that there really isn't something quite like this in golf, the way it's being conducted. I think it comes down to, I mean, do I own any technology that could not be replicated? No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm not, am I looking to Amazon uh, the way in which we're doing this? Not particularly. I, I just think end of the day, uh, you know, I, I care about our players. I care about what we're doing. I care about the sport. I care about the health and fitness industry. Um, I have a lot of issues with the way a lot of things are being done and, and the way that message is out there, especially in 2020 with all the crazy nonsense going on in our world right now. I just, I don't like a lot of the things that I hear coming out of people's mouths who have platforms. I respectfully disagree with a lot of the things that I do hear about uh, here out there. I, I disagree with the financial messages I hear coming out of the woodwork from a lot of people on, on cable news. You know, this idea that people need to be dependent upon other people. Like I, I just think that there's, amazing power in the individual when the individual decides to take ownership and accountability for his or her life. And, you know, if I was going to have any parting words for anybody, it's, it's something that I've posted about a lot. It's lead with value and take personal accountability for your life. Like I don't think anybody else is supposed to be responsible for you. doesn't, doesn't really matter where you're at. I think when you decide to take ownership, you basically get all the power. That's what's crazy. People talk about like, so-and-so letting people do things so-and-so you know allowing you know the number of people and i'm not i'm not going to get into to certain controversial topics but i just i don't believe in the idea that that people need to be given permission or or certain people need to yield uh power to other people i think especially in this country we can do whatever the hell we choose to do and, and what you decide you can't do is a decision you're making 
whether you want to admit it or not. You know, when I went bankrupt, and I've said this numerous times before, man, it took a, a conversation in my parents' mirror in their guest room bathroom with myself saying, I'm the reason this whole thing came crashing down. Nobody else played a role. It didn't matter if I hired a bad vendor. Guess what? I hired them. I made a decision. They might have done a shitty job. I, I allowed it to happen. I didn't do my research properly. I allowed it. Everybody I've invited into my life has been because of my actions and been because of my mindset. I've played a role in all of it. Everybody loves to talk about all the different things about how it's not their fault. In some way, shape, or form, everything you're inviting into your life, in some capacity, you've played a role in. If you're going to take credit for all the good things, you have to take responsibility for the things that are not so great either. You know, what, what's, the, what's the Denzel quote from the Equalizer? You know, when you pray for rain, you got to deal with the mud. You know, that, that's, that's life. So, like, the moment you start taking true ownership for your life and stop bullshitting yourself and blaming other people is the moment when you're going to start to realize, wow, I have a lot of power in this, and I can do a lot of things. Active 30 would not have been possible in any capacity if I didn't one day decide to take ownership for my life and decide that life doesn't happen to me. It happens because of me. Boom. And I decided to lead with value out of all that. Yeah. When you help I other people do what they want, yeah, other people are concerned about themselves, and that's okay, by the way. When you help other people get what they want, you will get everything you want and then some. And people will basically, your people will basically become your sales force. Yep. Very true. Can't go wrong with that. No. Well, I, I think that was amazing. Uh, Chris, if anyone wants to get in contact with you or, or even work with you, what's the best way to get in contact with you or see the stuff that you're doing? Instagram, baby. At Chris Doherty Golf. Okay. Very good. I'll get that linked up. Yeah, that's where that's where I'm always at. And I guess you could send an email, Chris at active30golf.com. But I mean email, that's okay. so 1995, you know, that's like <laughs> Yeah, it's all about signing into the DMs now, right? You know, uh, I, I was just, I could tell a story. I'm not gonna tell a story about when the, the, <laughs> the one time when sliding into the DMs to help somebody came back to bite me in the ass, but I'm 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 not gonna get into that right now. But I would say 99 times out of 100, sliding into the DMs with good intention yeah. is a great thing. Yep. If you're there to help somebody, you should never have to apologize for looking to help somebody. They don't yeah. want your help, guess what? It's Talk okay. Out. Yeah, yep. it's okay. It's okay. Life will continue to another day. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on and, and sharing everything that you did. Anytime, I'm in. Thanks for having me. All right. That wraps up that episode with Chris Doherty. I hope you enjoyed listening to what Chris had to say. I know he becomes very passionate about what he talks about, uh, but taking ownership and accountability and trying to grow every single day is super important. Just, just like he said, our bodies and humans were built to survive, not thrive. But the point of this podcast is to help you thrive and grow as a person every single day. So make that decision to make a positive change in your life. And when you're not making that decision, you're essentially making a decision to not grow or change or become better. When you do make a decision, make a small one. It doesn't have to be big. You don't have to change the world or your life right away. If you do, that's a recipe for disaster and you're probably just going to fall off the train. But make small steps. Those small incremental changes over time make a big difference. So keep doing that and keep working hard.
if you guys haven't done so already, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. That just helps other people find the show so they can also improve their lives and their golf game. But I'm going to go ahead and wrap this episode up. Just remember to keep striving for excellence and greatness in everything you do. Keep making progress. You guys got this. Until next time, feel great and golf great.